am glad you're here. This little podcast is a safe space to talk about the movies we love, the good and the bad, acknowledging their issues and celebrating their successes with a healthy dose of nostalgia thrown in for good measure. And because I'm a librarian by day and don't need an excuse to talk books, at the end of our conversation, I'll give you a few book recommendations you might like if this movie sounds like your cup of tea. Before we dive into today's movie pick, 1989's Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, a quick ask. If you like the podcast and want a free and super easy way to support what I do, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen. You can also just share the podcast with someone or someones you know that you think might enjoy the fun as well. Word of mouth marketing, I would be ever so appreciative. So today is my birthday. Happy birthday to me. I am 41 today, and I am stupid excited to get out of my 40th year of life. It has been a ride, one of the hardest seasons of my life, a ride that I'm just really happy to be getting off and have nothing but hope, though, that the next 12 months will far exceed the last 12. I'd like to say I learned some things through this year, through my many trials and tribulations, but I think it's probably still too soon for that. Um, I'm just still in survival mode. I think though that I'm actively learning one thing, that you kind of have to feel it all. It's not fun. It's not pleasant. It's hard and frustrating and sad. And I really don't like to be sad. I don't really do well with emotions in general, but I'm learning to feel it all and that running away from my feelings or just a temporary fix, it's not a good thing. But this isn't meant to be heavy. This podcast for me is the exact opposite of heavy. The podcast is a place where I get to just geek out about movies and random tidbits of Hollywood history. I get to let my weird flag fly high. I get to chat online with folks who just get it and get to rewatch movies, some good, some bad, and some that are just the perfect mixture of both. So if I don't say thank you enough for listening Thank you. And I am happy to be doing this on my birthday, sharing this with you, because this is something that I just really enjoy doing. Now, as for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. It was a quiet Saturday morning. Zelensky, give it a rest. It's Saturday. Professor Wayne Zelinsky was hard at work on his new invention. This thing works. It'll put us right up there with the invention of electricity. That didn't quite work. Did you get the machine to work? A few more bugs to get out. Then something quite unexpected happened. Where are the kids? I haven't seen them since I left this morning. It shrunk the kids. Nick, what happened? It works. Diane, I got something real important to tell you. Are you trying to tell me the machine works? Do the kids know? Well, yeah, the kids know. That's great. It's not that great. Why? I shrunk the kids. And the Thompson kids, too. They're about this big. Threw them out with the trash. Ah! What? They're in the backyard. Walt Disney Pictures presents The Last Frontier. Dad can fix us, right, Nick? Ah! Ah! I'll tell you their size. It's a jungle out there. Ah! Ah! Nicky, get out of there! Now, while the professor is looking for the kids, we just gotta keep our eyes open. They're taking matters into their own hands. I say that, and it's ours! Onward! They better behave themselves. Something's very weird here. What is it? Earthquake! No worse! Lawnmower! Rick Moranis is Professor Wayne Zielinski. Are you saying that that machine? 
machine blew up my kids? No, no, no. If the machine had blown up the kids, there'd be pieces of them everywhere. Wayne, did you report some missing children? Oh, there must be some mistake. Ours are in the backyard. Right, honey? Honey, I shrunk the kids. We're all the size of boogers. So if you would like to watch along, maybe you have the DVD like I do, but I watched it on Disney Plus. It is streaming on there. So you could hop onto Disney Plus if you have a subscription and watch it as well. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was directed by Joe Johnston. I never heard this man's name, but boy, do I know his movies. He's also known for directing the cult classic film, The Rocketeer. Ah, I wish... I wish I could fully express my love for that movie. We'll explore it in full one day. I did write a blog post about it at one time. I just, I loved the costuming and the casting and the almost whimsical nature of the 1940s and the score. Oh, the score. I just love this movie. And so we will talk about it one day. But he directed that because of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which is awesome. Jumanji, October Sky, where I first fell in love with Jake Gyllenhaal. The Page Master, Hidalgo, which I throw in only because I have a very soft spot in my heart for Viggo Mortensen. Jurassic Park 3, which was not great, but it's still a part of the original trilogy, which is better than the Lost World stuff. And Captain America, the First Avenger, which I did not realize that. He was also, though, apparently an art director for the first two Indiana Jones movies. So he's got that in his filmography. And... All three of the original Star Wars. What? He also worked on Willow, the Iron Giant, and Batteries Not Included. I just, I, I like this guy. Joe, I like you. But Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was actually his directorial debut. It just, what an awesome filmography, man. Didn't expect that when I looked him up. The movie was written by Stuart Gordon, Brian Yuzna, and Ed Naha. Those are some great names. And they so they're credited for the screenplay. I got to say, I don't recognize anything else on any of their film, filmographies. They are long, but very obscure. I, I didn't know any of the other projects. Apparently, though, this movie was originally brought to Disney Studios by Gordon and Yusna. And Gordon was actually hired to direct the film and Yusna produce. And at that time, they were calling the movie Teeny Weenies. But Gordon, who prepped the film, had to drop out as director not long after because of an illness. So Joe Johnston was brought on to replace him. And so they decided at some point that Teeny Weenie seemed too kitty, too childish. It was always only going to kind of work for one specific demographic. So they changed the name temporarily to Grounded to appeal to a more mature audience. And then that name was later rejected in favor of The Big Backyard, which could work. I, I could see that working, but they landed on Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which is not grammatically correct. I guess the movie actually won a an award for really bad grammar, uh, but it's based on a line of dialogue from the film. Ultimately, they decided that became the title, and I do love it when the title of a movie is said verbatim within the movie. It doesn't happen as often as you think it's going to happen. Sometimes it gets really, really close, but it just is shy of the actual wording. But this one, it's actually in there. So the film was apparently heavenly, heavenly, heavily influenced by the 1950s uh, and The Incredible Shrinking Man, which completely makes sense. The movie stars Rick Moranis as Wayne Zielinski. 
man, I miss Rick Moranis. He took a hiatus to raise his children after his wife passed away in the 90s. And I, there's rumors that he might be coming back. They're grown now. They have lives of their own. So maybe we'll get to see more Rick Moranis, which would be awesome. I guess he was on an episode of the Goldbergs not too long ago. And I need to look up that episode because I would like to see it. Matt Frewer played Big Russ Thompson, Marcia Strassman as Diane Selinsky's Wayne's wife, Christine Sutherland as Diane Thompson, Big Russ's wife, and Diane, you will, or not Diane, Christine Sutherland, you will know if you are a big Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, that is Buffy's mother. Thomas Wilson Brown plays Little Russ Thompson, Jared Rushton plays Ron Thompson, Amy O'Neill plays Amy Zelinsky. And Robert Olivi- Olivieri, maybe, <laughs> as Nick, um, Nick Solinsky. And then there's about a half dozen, dozen other people where you would kind of know them. You're like, oh, I've seen that person before. I know who they are. And I just love that in movies because, I'm again, I'm constantly on IMDb as I'm watching movies. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was released on June 23rd, 1989. So it was a summer summer movie not a summer blockbuster i wouldn't say but it opened at number two in the u.s box office behind batman and grossed over 14 million dollars during the opening weekend apparently that was buena vista's biggest three-day weekend of all time for quite a while i don't think it still holds that record but and it made over 130 million dollars domestically and over 222 million dollars worldwide on a budget of just 18 million dollars it was just like the little kids movie that could. The $18 million budget blows my mind because there are other movies that have a lot of special effects and you're seeing in, them in like the $60 million range. I don't know how that quite they pulled that off with $18 million. I guess they did film in, New, in Mexico City and I guess that's cheaper to film in Mexico. So maybe, maybe that's part of the reason why. But the effects alone, I think I would have assumed would have made the budget higher. So what else came out that year? All right, so we'll be revisiting 1989 a couple of times this year. So to keep things fresh, I'm not going to talk about what won the box office or what else came out that June. We might have already done that too. So I don't want to keep harping on that every time. I'm sure we'll get to all of that again later. What I find most interesting at the moment, though, is there's a section on the Wikipedia page just called events. Uh, What Wikipedia defines as, I'm assuming, some of the most important things in Hollywood that year. So I thought I would share that list with you because it's a very odd list in my <laughs> in my opinion. The first thing on the list is that actress Kim Basinger and her brother Mick purchase Brasselton, Georgia for $20 million. So did they just buy a town? It kind of sounds like they bought a town. She would lose the town to her partner in the deal, the Pension Fund of Chicago-based AmeriCorps. Meritech Corporation in 1993 after being forced to file for bankruptcy when a California judge ordered her to pay $7.4 million for refusing to honor a verbal contract to star in the film Boxing Helena. So she bought a town and lost a town a a few years later. So that was big Hollywood news. A director's cut of Lawrence of Arabia is released with a 227-minute length. The restoration was undertaken by Robert A. Harris under the supervision of David Lean. I don't know who those people are, but that is a long director's cut. 
April 23rd was a big day, apparently. Field of Dreams came out. Yeah, it is a big day. It was released that day, so that that made the list. We will be talking about Field of Dreams next month. May 24th, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is released. So I like that. That made the list. June 13th, the James Bond film License to Kill is released. It would be followed by years of legal wrangling over the future of the popular series. So... I, some of it's just movies that they <laughs> apparently they thought was a big deal. June 16th, Ghostbusters 2 is released. June 23rd, Batman is released. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is released. Uh, and then June 30th, Do the Right Thing is released. And apparently, and that's a Spike Lee movie. I had to look that up. I am not familiar with many Spike Lee movies, so I, I need to do some research on that. But apparently that movie was added to the National Film Registry in 1999. Um, July 7th, we get Lethal Weapon 2, and it becomes the highest grossing film in the franchise. On July 11th, screen, stage, and Shakespearean legend Laurence Olivier died, so that was sad. August 2nd, Ron Howard's family comedy Parenthood is released. September 28th, Sony announces its intention to buy Columbia Pictures and TriStar Pictures. The deal is completed in November for a total cost of nearly $5 billion. See, that seems more like an event news kind of thing. Not Kim Basinger buying a town. A few more here. November 7th, Andrew G. Vanya agrees to sell his stake in Caro Car. Carl Loco pictures? Oh, I don't know what that means. Uh, November, 7, November 17th, The Little Mermaid is released and becomes a con- commercial success. And finally, November 22nd, Back to the Future 2 is released. So I just, I, I would like to know, I need to look up who wrote this Wikipedia page and try to figure out why they determined what would be within that section and what wouldn't. It's just very interesting to me. As for reviews, the movie has a 70% critic score on the tomato meter and a 54% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. The audience score kind of baffles me. I would have assumed it was higher, especially with, you know, making over $200 million at the box office. That's really interesting, too. If you look on Rotten Tomatoes and you ever hop on there, you know, 90% of the reviews are from the last 10 years. And it's people that I think are just trolling and really bored and hop on there to put their two cents, which, you know, their opinion is their opinion. Let them have it. But a lot of times I think it's just to rile people up. Uh, Roger Ebert did review the movie. In his review, he says, I've been trying to figure out exactly what's missing in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. The special effects are all there, nicely in place, and the production values are sound. But the movie is dead in the water. And that actually kind of came up a little bit in some of the different reviews that I read. It's not this is not a complicated plot. This is probably the most simple plot you can come up with. And I think maybe that's part of the problem, that there's no meat to the particular storytelling. It just relies so heavily on the special effects. But we will talk about that. But he did give it two stars and a thumbs up. It's just not one of his highest rated movies. And I can kind of understand why. Which leads us to our summary of the movie. A look at the movie in three parts. We've got act one, the setup, act two, the rising action, and act three, the resolution. We're looking at the movie through the lens of storytelling. So let's just hop in with act one, the setup. And again, in the setup, we're introduced to the main characters, both protagonist, antagonist, and the main plot. 
Before we even get into the first scene, though, if you've never seen kind of the starting credits, it's this animated thing, which is kind of new at the time. You didn't see it all that often. I thought it was really cool visually. Didn't really match up to me in my head of what you're about to see in the movie, but it's worth watching if you haven't sat down to watch this. But we start the movie at the Zelensky house. And just a reminder that Rick Moranis plays Wayne Zelensky. He's the dad. And then we have older sister Amy chatting on the phone. Uh, you know, hey, the dance is coming up. She's actually also talking about some of the troubles they're having at home. Uh, you have younger brother Nick, who's playing with an invention. Mom is at work, but it sounds like she actually stayed at someone else's house the night before because of a fight between her and Wayne. And then Wayne is just upstairs in his laboratory trying to put the final touches on his own invention that is set to be presented at work that day. And he is what you come to realize really quickly is he gets kind of lost in his work. When he is working in his laboratory, working on his inventions, nothing else matters. The house is odd. <laughs> it's a little bit, if you took like Doc Brown from Back to the Future, you remember that opening scene, which we're going to talk about that movie later this, this year. But the opening scene where Marty shows up at Doc's place and... Um, He's going to play the guitar and he's checking on Einstein and it has all of these inventions that were like one set up to open a can of Einstein's food and dump it into a bowl. So there's inventions like that. So if you took Doc Brown and then kind of merged him with Pete's dad from Gremlins, who is always trying to create things, but they don't really work. That's kind of the vibe you get. Lots of inventions that do a lot of semi useless things. So that's imagine that as the house. So anyway, dad's causing a ruckus upstairs with his invention, which wakes up the neighbors, the Thompsons, and Big Russ, the dad, is less than amused. He kind of storms down the stairs towards Zelensky's house to say his piece, but he's thwarted by a booby trap situation set up by his son, Ron, who is camping in the backyard. So the Thompson family is getting ready to go camping and fishing together in the RV. Uh, so that is their plans for the day. I thought it was summer. But I don't think it's summer because uh, little Russ will will come to find out here in a second. He didn't make the football team. So that means school has started and there's a dance coming up. So maybe it's just a weekend, I guess. But it just, I don't know, just seems like an odd placement for a fishing trip. Anyway, um, so Nick heads upstairs to talk to his dad, to talk to Wayne, Rick Moranis, and Wayne kind of quickly dismisses him because he's absorbed by his invention, a laser that should hypothetically shrink items. He never really explains why this is a thing, why you would want this to happen. If you have ever seen the 1960-something classic Babes in Toyland starring Annette Funicello, which you probably haven't, it is the movie I have watched most in my entire life. It is not my favorite movie of all time, but I have just watched it the most. I put it on a lot. It's my background movie, and it's also my falling asleep movie. Um, but in the movie, they go to the toy maker's house. The toy maker, he makes all the toys for Christmas Day. And so this group of kids and Annette Funicello and her fiance, who she thought was dead, they are helping the toy maker because he's behind. And then he has an assistant played by a gentleman that I can't remember the name of right now, but he's in a lot of Disney movies from the 1950s and 60s. Well, he creates this device that can shrink items. And he thinks this is a great idea because he can just shrink everything that they use every single day and make it a toy so that they can get back on track. But then Annette Funicello's fiance gets 
miniaturized and a whole thing happens. So it doesn't, it never bodes well for anybody, this shrinking business. So I don't, I wish they would have said Wayne at one point would have gone like, this is why this is important. This is why we need to shrink things. I mean, he kind of explains the hypothetical science behind it, but that is it. So anyway, he kind of dismisses his son. <laughs> I got distracted. Uh, and then he attempts to shrink an apple and the apple explodes. So it's looking like the machine doesn't work. Back over at the Thompson's house, the, the neighbors, he, Russ finds out, Big Russ finds out that his older son, Russell, like I mentioned, is less than excited about the big camping trip and pretty bummed that he didn't make the football team. So Big Russ seems to be kind of the man's man, which is the neighborly opposite to Wayne Zelensky next door. And then the youngest boy, Ron, is kind of the spitting image of his dad, that they like the outdoorsy kind of things, rough and tumble kind of things. So Ron is in the backyard trying... He wants to play baseball there. He's killing time before they leave for this trip. And he's tossing a ball in the air and trying to hit it with a baseball bat. And he's not very good at it, but he finally gets one and he sends the ball sailing into the Zelensky's attic. Oh, I forgot. At this point, Wayne has left to go. He has a conference. He has to do a presentation on this particular invention, I do believe. So he has left the house. So it's just the kids left in the house. They were tasked with cleaning the house before mom gets home because they want to make mom happy when she gets home because mom did not sleep at home, which I thought was an interesting choice to add that to show a family dynamic that wasn't perfect, that they, the parents were arguing how that affected the kids. They didn't go over the top with it. And it's actually pretty subtle, but I, I really appreciated that about the movie. If they had visited that a little more, maybe there would have been a little more meat to the storytelling, but it's just kind of on the periphery that you kind of know the mood the kids are in. So the kids are cleaning the house. The ball sails through the attic window, hits the invention. And that's all we see at that moment. It hits it and it kind of turns it on. Well, actually, we see more than that. It starts to miniaturize items within the room. So he's got a, Wayne's got a thinking couch and the thinking couch gets shrunk and a, a couple other things too. Um, and so they, Russ, little Russ, Russell, we're going to call him Russell, big Russ and Russell. So Russell drags his brother over to the Zelensky's to own up to what he had done. And so Nick and Ron, the two youngest boys, they head up the stairs to find the ball and to clean up the mess. And when they don't come back down, Amy and Russell go up to find them. And we realize that they have all been shrunk. The machine is on, the machine is working because whatever happened when the baseball hit it made it turn on. So the kids are now the size of a thumbtack. And uh, so we get the first glimpses of them tiny within a big world. So they're kind of walking around the, the attic, um, checking out everything that's big. They actually find the thinking couch, which is their same size now, so they can still sit on the couch, which is interesting. Well, then Wayne comes home uh, after a horrible presentation. It doesn't take long. You know, he the presentation did not go well because... <laughs> When you start talking about a machine that shrinks things, people just get up and leave. And so he has come home kind of frustrated and he takes his frustration out on the shrinking machine. And then he decides to like clean up the mess after him. So he starts to sweep the floor and the kids are on the floor. So he ends up sweeping them on. They're holding on to the broom. Um, what's the part of the broom? Br bristles? 
<laughs> is that it? They hold on to the broom and they are put into the tra- a trash bag. And the trash bag is tossed out at the trash cans on the far side of the backyard. And that kind of ends act one. We've got, like I mentioned, we the setup, we're meeting our people and the plot. And so we have our four kids, a scientist, a machine that does in fact work, and the start of the adventure. The kids are in the backyard and they have to try to make it back to the house so that it sets it up pretty nicely and there's no monologuing there's no exposition you get a feel for the household the Zelensky household pretty well and the Thompson household pretty well uh but then that leads us into act two the rising action and in the rising action the plot is supposed to be escalated toward the final resolution and in the case of Honey I Shrunk the Kids it is really just a tool for special effects as I mentioned, it does not get any easier of a plot. Something happens to some kids. They have to try to make it back home. That is the entire plot. They just happen to be kind of tiny. So they're, the obstacles they're facing are a little different. But they're also obstacles that you kind of see coming because you know your backyard. Um, so they use the combination of you know, effects and practical sets to pull off the obstacles that the kids are going to face being tiny in this big, 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 big world. So the kids break out of the trash bag and they slide down a blade of grass to the ground. That does look like a lot of fun. Uh, (laughs) it, It just, it's a giant slide that has twists and turns. When they come to kind of a disgusting looking river that seems impossible to cross. We don't know what the water is. There are dead bugs flying in it. They're like, oh, we'll just, you know, swim through it. And Amy, the sister is like, I am not swimming through anything. So Nick, the youngest Zelensky, gets the bright idea to see if they can get the attention of the family dog, whose name is Quark. So they start whistling because dogs have great hearing and can hear high pitches and apparently super faint ones. And by some miracle, Quark does in fact hear them and rushes out of the house, only to be thwarted by the Thompson's mean cat Spike, who kind of runs him off. So that that plan failed. If it had worked, it would be a very short movie. So then um, while they are trying to get, they had climbed up some grass to kind of see the lay of the land of the yard, try to figure out where they're at. And Nick falls off the blade of grass into a flower that's filled with pollen. And right at that moment, a bee comes and kind of picks him up. And Russell tries to grab hold of him as he's launched, getting, you know, taken up into the sky, flying into the sky. So then Russell's also attached to Nick and they fly around the yard on the speed. There's some pretty cool shots with this. Um, the bee kind of flies around both the dads, big Russ and Wayne, and they're kind of swatting at them. So you get, you often are in the perspective of the bee. So you're seeing, you're seeing the dads and, the things that they're waving to try to hit them away. So that, that part's pretty fun. Some of the effects are a little squidgy. Um, we'll get to that in a little bit though, but overall it's a very cool scene. And so that's what this act is. So there's going to be obstacle setup, adventure item, lots of effects, next obstacle, next special effects, next adventure. It just goes like that over and over and over again. Um, so they don't get hit. Russell and Nick are kind of dropped off into the middle of nowhere. They are now separated from Amy and Ron and the kids have to try to find each other within the the yard. Um, 
But that's kind of when Wayne, Mr. Zelensky, starts to figure out what's happening because he had picked up a baseball bat in his yard and was swatting at the bee. He then realizes that his son does not play baseball. Amy does not play baseball. They would not have a baseball bat. So he picks up the bat and then he looks up at the attic and realizes that a baseball must have caused the damage. So he runs upstairs into the attic and as he's walking around, he steps on what is now his tiny armchair and he kind of hears a crunch. So he gets down on all fours. He finds his thinking couch, knows it's small and realizes that the machine really does work. And that has to be why the kids are missing because nobody's been able to find the children. Well, it's because that they are super, super, super tiny. So all of that's happening while the bee drops Nick and Russ off and they are having, they're having to look for Amy and Ron within the yard. So, um, while the kids are trying to find each other, Wayne then, after he knows what's going on, he puts on a pair of binoculars and carefully walks around the backyard looking for the kids. He's actually on stilts, which I think was an odd choice. It's mostly for the comedic effect. I know this moment is also fun because if you are a Rick Moranis fan, then you quite possibly love Ghostbusters. And in Ghostbusters, when he is at the station after he has become the key master, um, he wears the helmet. And so throughout many scenes in the rest of the movie, he's got a helmet on and these binoculars. And so if it's Rick Moranis looking goofy, which seems to be really popular. I love it. I got to say, I love it. So I'm glad it's happening. So he is kind of moving around the yard with these binoculars, trying to find the children. Um, cause he knows that he threw them out in the trash. Um, so while he's doing that, his, his stilts, get caught on the water hose which turns on the sprinklers so we get the next big effect so first was the bee now it's giant water droplets that are falling all around the kids as they race for cover amy falls they found apparently there's i don't know it's some kind of slate rock in the middle of the yard that they are at ron and amy are at and so she they're running up it trying to get away from the water and she falls off the ledge into a mud puddle But Russell and Nick are nearby, so Rush jumps in after her. He has to give her CPR. He saves her life. Um, But that's the the next big action scene are these giant water drops that are splashing all around the kids. And that is really kind of a a cool scene. They do that really well. There's some parts where you're like, ooh, that was a green, (laughs) green screen or a blue screen, whatever they used. But it did really look like giant water droplets just splashing around them. So um, the next scene, we have Wayne, who has now built a contraption in the backyard that it's kind of, it looks like a scale. So he's on one end, on the other, it's balanced by a giant TV, and he's slowly kind of spinning around the yard with his binoculars on looking for the kids. And he's whispering their name because voices sound really loud to them when they're super tiny. Um, So the kids now, they kind of keep moving. They're starting to get hungry. They end up finding an oatmeal cream pie in the yard. So they dive into the snack. And while they're eating, they come across an ant. And before I move on here, I want to pause for just a quick second and make a note about the score, the music in the background. I was extremely irritated because I had never noticed this before. But the music is clearly, clearly from the Goonies. It is Goonies music. It's not like subtly Goonies. It is the Goonies. And that I just didn't seem right to me. Can you just steal 
other properties' music. But then I fell down a mini rabbit hole when I read that many times throughout the movie, it's called incidental music that uses phrases from the incidental music in Goonies, which led to the question, what in the world is incidental music? And apparently it's music written to accompany or point up the action or mood of a dramatic performance on stage, film, radio, television, or recording to serve as a transition between parts of the action or to introduce or close the performance. So they just kind of took these clips. And is that allowed? I would like to know if that's allowed, how they got away with that. I know there was a legal battle, but that had to do with the music at the beginning in that animated sequence at the beginning. They did not get the license to play the music that they did. Apparently it was like a popular piece, but I, I don't know. (laughs) Just rip off another movie score just seems really, really lazy, especially since the music is from James Horner. So I'd kind of like to know what what happened there. Or are there other movies that share incidental music? And I just haven't picked up on that. I think The Goonies is pretty iconic and it catches your ear. And if you've seen The Goonies 150 times like I have, it's probably easy to do. But uh, just thought that was kind of interesting. And And I learned something new. I have learned so many new things with this podcast. I know you probably aren't interested in the things that I share with you, but I find it fascinating. I find Hollywood and the storytelling of Hollywood and how all of the parts come together and you get these beautiful movies. Very, very interesting. Anyway, honey, I shrunk the kids. So they get the bright idea. The kids do. They're eating this oatmeal cream pie. They run away because this ant is coming and the ant is huge to them. Uh, They get this bright idea to tame the ant since ants apparently move fast and can travel easily over obstacles, which that part makes sense to me. So we get the next action moment, the kids trying to capture the insect. So it's much like a wild horse that they are trying to to break. Um, so they're all hopping on, getting kicked off. Nick rides it for quite a while. I kind of feel like it was eight seconds because it looks like a buck and bronco. Um, but they finally, finally, Amy picks up part of the oatmeal cream pie and holds it in front of the ant. And the ant is very interested in that and follows her. So they eventually break the ant in. They befriend him, of course, because it's a kid's movie. They actually tie a leaf to the back of him and Amy, Nick, and Russell hop on the leaf and get dragged while Ron sits on the ant with a almost like a fishing pole kind of thing with the oatmeal cream pie in front of him to get the ant to move in the direction that they want to go. Very clever. But that takes us out of that action scene. So meanwhile, Wayne tells his wife, Diane comes home. Diane's like, where are the kids? Wayne tells his wife that he's pretty sure he shrunk the kids. Honey, I shrunk the kids. Uh, she ends up fainting at one point, which is great. She just go, falls right back. And then they decide they have to let the Thompsons know because the Thompsons are scared. They don't know where their children are either. So they tell them Big Russ is not amused and doesn't really believe it, uh, but he'll come around here in a little bit. So the kids are taking a ride on the ant, which they have named Auntie, their new insect best friend and they're on it for quite a while and they decide to stop for the night because auntie is getting tired um they actually come across a cigarette big russ had flicked a cigarette into the yard so they use the embers from the cigarette to light 
some brush on fire so that they kind of have torches to lead them through the yard during the night when they stumble upon a Lego that Nick had just left in the yard. So they crawl into, it's like the backside of the Lego. They crawl into the holes and they're going to sleep there for the night. Uh, Amy and Russ have a heart to heart. They start making out because... (laughs) They're teenagers, and I think that was just the expectation that they would fall in love and make out for a while. Um, And then all of a sudden, the Lego is attacked by a scorpion, which I think this is supposed to be New York. I I remember at some point Russell saying, well, I think we're still in New York. So if it's still in New York, are there scorpions in random backyards that are this little larger than the size of an ant? So it's not a huge scorpion like you'd see in the desert. But scorpions that are slightly larger than ants roaming around. Do I have that in my yard? Because that terrifies me now. I like to walk barefoot around my yard. But if there are tiny scorpions just walking around in my yard, I don't know if I'm ever going to do that again. I don't know if he was supposed to be like... Is that what a fire ant looks like? I know nothing about insects. There's always something in each of these episodes that I just know very little about. But it, so this, anyway, (laughs) the scorpion attacks the Lego. It's about to get Ron. The other kids have gotten away, but Ron is stuck in the Lego. He falls out. He's hurt. The scorpion's about to get him, but auntie comes in to save the day he kind of distracts it uh the ant is then hurt so the kids grab sticks so very tiny sticks and run at the scorpion and kind of distract it and get it away sadly though auntie's injuries are fatal he does not make it and there there is a loss in the movie a loss of their very new best friend who is an insect. So it's a little bit of a sad, sweet moment, but that actually ends act two. So I tried to watch a making of the movie clip on YouTube about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, but it was obviously like ripped from an old VHS and almost impossible to see what was going on because I wanted to see what they said about the effects. And it sounds like they had to storyboard the entire movie. I mean, shot for shot storyboarded. And I don't know if they do that for all movies if is storyboarding is just kind of a scene thing a general hey we're gonna start here and kind of end up here and it's generalities but they talked about how they really had to storyboard every single shot because when they come in with the effects that's gonna I mean you kind of have to give the effects guys something to sort of start working on and then maybe tweak and they also needed that for the sets that they were gonna have to build so they storyboarded the entire movie. And then they use scale models. So a scale model was used for the B scene uh, with miniature Russ and Nick plastic figures attached. They also used a lot of forced perspective, like in the giant cookie scene, the part of the cookie you're seeing is bigger than the back. So it looks like the cookie is bigger. Um, The child actors were strapped in for the scene with the broom. It is called bristles. The bristles were actually pieces of foam that were carved and tied to a rig system. So then they were kind of strapped onto these foam pieces. I guess they used a lot of foam in this movie. I wish I could have learned more, but it was making me cross-eyed trying to see what was on the screen. So I, I gave up for a while. Sorry, guys. I didn't stick with it for you. I'm very sorry. Anyway, act three. So our group is now, they have survived an attack within the, the yard 
Um, all of the parents know what's going on, which leads us to Act 3, the resolution. And in the resolution, we have our final climactic moment, and hopefully the happy ending when the plot is wrapped up in a nice neat bow. And this doesn't get more wrapped up than this. So the next morning, a friend of Nick's comes to cut the grass. The previous day, when the kids are supposed to be cleaning up the house, this friend comes over and Nick's like, "Are you going to cut? Can you cut the yard for me?" And the kid's like, "I can't today. I'll come over as soon as I can." The the mower is a remote control mower. It's another one of Wayne's inventions. So Tommy comes over to cut the grass. So we get again our next action sequence. The kids are looking for the mowers going around. Um, the Wayne and Diane have not heard it yet. They don't know that's happening in the backyard. The kids are looking for somewhere to hide while this mower races around the yard and they end up taking cover in an earthworm tunnel. I wonder at some point if this was supposed to be a bigger scene than it was. The fact that they kind of point out that there was an earthworm tunnel. I wonder if as, at some point in the story, there was a conversation about having them actually meet an earthworm. We don't get that, though. They kind of travel a little bit down the tunnel. At this point, Diane and Wayne are like, oh, my goodness, he's mowing the yard. So they run out, and they're screaming at him to stop. And he stops it. He doesn't turn it off, but he stops it so it's not moving. Tommy does. And it's actually very nearby, of course, to where this earthworm tunnel is. And because the fan is so close, it starts to suck them back out of the tunnel. So the kids get sucked out and it ends up shooting them into the air <laughs> closer to the porch, though, where the parents are kind of frantically looking for them in the grass. Uh, why they thought they would be right there, I don't know. But hey, they're looking for them like lunatics in the backyard. Uh, that's when Quark comes towards them. So if you remember, plan A was to call Quark and hold on to him. Well, he comes, they're able to grab, hold on to his fur, and he takes them into the house. He's one of those highly intelligent dogs that just kind of always senses what needs to be done. And this will continue throughout the rest of the movie. I have never met one of those dogs. I do not own one of those dogs. Dolly Parton would have no idea I was stuck in the yard and needed help, would have no idea how to get me into the house and would have no idea that I actually needed the help of another person. She would not care. She would just be running around the backyard with rocks in her mouth because that's what she does now. Uh, so I've got a special one, but this Quark one is super smart. So Quark runs into the house jumps onto the chair. Um, Wayne's at the table eating cereal. The dog jumps onto the kitchen table and kind of walks over towards Wayne. And Wayne's like, what are you doing? Kind of shoes him off. Well, when he shoes him off, Nick falls off the dog and into Wayne's bowl of cereal. So you get this great shot of Wayne continuously dipping his spoon and bringing it up. And you're like, does he have Nick this time? No. Meanwhile, the other kids have climbed off Quark's nose and they are like running across the table shouting, trying to get dad's attention. And just as Wayne is about to eat his son, he's in the middle of a Cheerio, Quark jumps down and bites him on the leg. Again, this is a very smart dog. <laughs> Wayne sees, then sees Nick and Diane rushes over to go get the Thompsons. They found the kids, go get the parents. They then all head up to the lab upstairs in the attic um, and Wayne has been working on trying to fix the invention, but he's still blowing up apples and they're starting to get fidgety. We can't try this on the kids. You'll blow up the kids. Um, so then the kids are screaming and they have a, 
a magnifying glass over them at this point so they can actually see them. And Diane's like, I think the kids are trying to tell us something. So they start to mimic baseball. And after some charades, the parents finally get it. And they're like, oh, the baseball hit the machine. They don't explain what that has to do with anything except that the laser was too hot. And that's why it's blowing everything up. What the baseball has to do with that, I don't know. So Wayne makes some adjustments and then... Big Russ is like, well, I'm still not going to let you try this on the kids. You can't try it on a living being. You have to try it on a different living being first. And because Quark is highly intelligent, he hears this and runs out of the room because he's like, uh, no, thank you. So Big Russ is like, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna do it. I'm going to sit down and you're going to shrink me and make me bigger and we're going to see if this works. So he he's a, a brave man, sits down. He's immediately shrunk to a very small size. Um Wayne makes some adjustments and is able to enlarge Big Russ. And so they're like, oh, okay, this this will work. So the kids then all kind of stand in a row holding hands. They're now friends. And they get shot with the laser. And it immediately fixes the kids. And the neighbors that were enemies are now friends. And they actually have a Thanksgiving meal together while Amy and Russell play footsie under the table. (laughs) The end. Um, The end. I, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Let's just keep going. So we've got some interesting tidbits about the movie. There's actually quite a few this time. And a lot of them have to do kind of with the behind the scenes stuff. So for the scene in which miniaturized Nick drops into the bowl of Cheerios. So the scene we just saw, it was a tank filled with 16,000 gallons of a milk-like substance made from chlorinated water, food thickener, and pigment. So that had to be disgusting to be floating in. And the Cheerios were made from tractor inner tubes, 12 feet in diameter, coated in foam. I just, I wish they would keep some of these things around. I know some sets have been kept and preserved. You think of like part of the Harry Potter sets in England have been kept. Uh, But there's some movies where you just wish you could experience it. You wish you could see it. If you've ever been to Disney World, to Hollywood Studios, at one point, they just got rid of it not that long ago, they had created a Honey, I Shrunk This Kids area. It was almost like a playground that parents could take their kids to, but everything was giant. There were giant coke cans and um, grass and all of that it was very cool just to walk through you didn't really get the same kind of feel because there's just so many people there (laughs) Um, but it it was very it was very cool very cool to see next tidbit Chevy Chase and John Candy and apparently Martin Short as well both turned down the role of Wayne Zielinski Candy did however suggest Rick Moranis for the role and apparently this also happened when Moranis was offered Ghostbusters in 1984 I don't know who stepped out and they're like you know who'd be good for this Rick Moranis I need to go back and really look at Rick Moranis's filmography I know some of the movies I mean Little Giants come on brilliant and this and Ghostbusters Spaceballs, um, Little Shop of Horrors, which is fantastic. But I don't know if it goes any much deeper than that. I need to look that up. In an earlier version of the script, there were five kids, one of which died during the sprinkler sequence. That would have been, (laughs) that would have been harsh for a kid's movie. I mean, they had the pet ant die and I think that was enough. Can you imagine if a child died in this? It would not be a comedy anymore. And and would they drag the body with them so it could be enlarged and the body could be buried? Oh, I have so many questions about how that would have turned out. 
Sets and props took more than nine months to build. So in May, June 1989, the Disney Channel Magazine article reported that 12 houses complete with front and backyards were built in addition to a 10-foot tall oatmeal cookie made from polyurethane foam and real cream filling. 40-foot tall urethane foam bubbles, blades, sorry, blades of grass, and a giant mechanical ant that required a dozen puppeteers to operate. The ant was constructed using latex, foam core, and horse hair and recreated for stop-motion sequences in which the children rode atop the insect. In our final little tidbit, the scenes involving the adult characters were actually shot first, followed by special effect heavy scenes in which the children worked on oversized sets. To blend the normal-sized and miniature worlds, footage from first and second units were combined with blue screen material, special effects shots, and VistaVision reductions. So you can tell in those moments. When the blue screen comes out, you can tell. So top five reasons why you should watch this movie. Number one is the nostalgia. If you are a child of the 80s or 90s and you have not revisited this lately, I highly recommend doing it. It is just fun. It is um, light. It's a light, quick watch. I mean, it seemed like a really fast movie. I mean, honestly, I felt like the movie was only about an hour. Because the action sequences are timed so perfectly within the movie, it just kind of keeps it moving. So for pure nostalgia, that's the first one. And I'm all about nostalgia. I keep saying that we're going to talk about it in depth sometime, and, and hopefully we will. But nostalgia to the effects. Uh, you know, does this movie hold up? It does. It really does. They, like I said, there are moments when the blue screen effects kind of get in the way and you're like, ooh, that transition was not great. But when you think of what they did in 1989 and you kind of compare it to something like Ant-Man, where they're using a similar idea in a new Marvel movie today with the graphics and the computer generated effects that they have at their disposal now, this one actually holds up really, really well. I think for the most part, because of the sets that they created, the practical sets they created uh, really make the difference in this movie. So watch it for the effects. Number three, watch it for Rick Moranis. He's so sweet and just looks so stupid doing the things he's doing, but he doesn't even care. He's one of those kind of characters that is completely oblivious to what's going around him. Um, and he's kind of single focused, but Highly, highly recommend it for that. Number four, The Adventure. I am a sucker for a kid's adventure movie. We've already talked about the Goonies. There's something so very special about kids kind of embarking on this journey, learning things about themselves and the world as they go. Um, it's just a lot of fun. And you just imagine yourself, and it goes back to the nostalgia, I guess, but imagining yourself as a kid in the backyard, everything you know about your backyard is turned on its head because you were the size of a thumbtack. And number five, watch it for Joe Johnston. Watch this and then see where it all started. I mean, just some of those movies that he's made are iconic, that they kind of live in that nostalgic piece. And he got to make The Rocketeer. <laughs> and that's all, that's all I need to say, really. But you just think of The Rocketeer and Jumanji and October Sky. There are some great films out there that he touched. And then you can also see the part because he was an art director and you just think of that, what went into this particular storytelling, I think is just a unique part of the story that you should, that you should watch for. I really liked it. What prop would I like? Well, I think I want the, the shrinking machine. Actually, I want 
Nick's miniature version of the shrinking machine. I want that to sit on a shelf in my pop culture museum. I think that would be awesome. Movie pairings. I'm really liking this new segment of the podcast. I know this is only the second time, but I really liked it the first go around and I like it this time as well. This one's kind of a, a no brainer for the first one. Um, well, that's not true. You're maybe this one is <laughs> the, the book will make more sense. I didn't want to have the book and the movie on the same thing. So there is a specific book that I'm going to be recommending, but the movie is The Secret World of Arietti. So it's the clock family are four inch tall people living anonymously in another family's residence, borrowing simple items to make their home. So tiny people living in a big world um, and living amongst people that live in a big world. Really fun. Um, if you are a fan of Hayao Miyazaki and the studio Ghibli Ghibli films, uh, this is not one of their films, but it's very much adjacent. You will really like this movie. And I'm also going to suggest, now don't shoot me. I know a lot of people have a lot of feelings about this particular movie, but Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey with Chance the dog and Shadow and I forget the cat's name. But it's that same kind of concept that fish out of water going on adventure trying to get home. It's Almost heartbreaking at the end, but it turns around. I'm going to spoil that for you now. No dogs die. If you haven't seen it, you know, I, I still think that's, it's a trigger warning. No, <laughs> because a lot of people don't do well with di dying dogs. So, um, yeah, there's that one. I would say Homeward Bound is a great connection pairing. Book recommendation, I am going with the Borrowers by Mary Norton, which is also a movie. Um, but Beneath the Kitchen Floor is the World of the Borrowers. And this is actually also the secret world of Arietti. Um, it's the Clock family. Their daughter Arietti is going out to explore. She's desperate for a friend. Um, but it's the, the original 1952 book version of it. So highly recommend that one. I remember reading that one as a kid. I really enjoyed it. And there's also the cartoon. Did you ever watch The Littles? I think it was called The Littles. And it was, again, these little creatures that lived in a house amongst regular-sized people. But I feel like they had tails. And they weren't like miniature humans. They were a creature of some sort. But am I making that up? Does anybody else remember that? My other suggestion, though, same kind of concept, Stuart Little by E.B. White. So I'm, I'm throwing in some classics, kids' classics this time. So Stuart Little is no ordinary mouse. Born to a family of humans, he lives in New York City with his family. But when Stuart's best friend goes missing, he's determined to leave home and take an epic journey to find his friend. So again, a little creature in a big world going on an adventure, fish out of water. Can't recommend them enough. But with that, that is all for today. Thank you so much for listening. Really, it is so appreciated. If you haven't already, I hope you subscribe so that we can keep going on this journey together. There's a new episode next week and you won't want to miss it. And if you've got the time, it would be awesome if you could rate and review so that other individuals who like random conversations about pop culture with somebody that honestly doesn't really know what they're talking about. Well, those individuals can have the same kind of fun as we're having right now. You can follow me on Instagram at at gnomegirlm and on Facebook as a bit of fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today. And I will see you next.